Welcome to Gateway's Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, hope you're all having a fantastic morning so far. My name is Nick Miner. I'm the pastor of students here, student, student pastor here at Gateway. Uh, so we haven't met before. It's a pleasure to meet you this morning. I got booed last hour uh, because I reminded that it's October 1st, which means Christmas is like 12, 13 weeks away or something like that. Uh, I know, I know. I walked into Lowe's uh, yesterday, Lowe's on Harbison, and they not only had the full Christmas de- decor out, but they also had Christmas music playing, and me and like four other people walked in and we were like, what? It, it, it felt like you were in like a Back to the Future scenario. You're like, what month is this? But it was, it was strange. Um, but yeah, hope it's October 1st, which means fall is here, Christmas is on the way. Um, and this morning, we're starting this new series uh, that me, Jeff's going to be preaching, Bart's going to be preaching on what to do when you mess up. Uh, we're going to be talking in the next four weeks about what to do when we mess up, how we handle mess ups, how, how we deal with this thing. Um, and what we're going to see this morning is that how we deal with mess ups, how we move forward when we mess up is probably a lot different than what our flesh would like to do with what our common thinking or culture would like to do. Uh, we're going to dive into that this morning. Uh, before we get too far, since the last time I've been up here, we've been blessed to be able to add a new member to the minor family. Uh, and so on May 25th, Lou, Llewellyn came into the world. So this is Louis. Uh, he's four months old now. I, my wife's not here. That's all for her. So I'll tell her that y'all clap for her. She was in last hour. Uh, but Louis, four months old. He was born on May 25th. Uh, he's doing great. He's chunky as all get out. I don't really understand how that much, you know, is on one little baby, uh, but he's doing, a, he's doing fantastic. And so, uh, and this is a picture of both boys now. So this is Augustus and Llewellyn. Uh, and yeah, that's my life. That's what it is. And so Gus got Louie. And I think I've said it up here before. I named my boys after my favorite uh, cowboys in my favorite Western novels. So if you can tell me, if you can tell me what two cowboys I named my boys off of, I'll I don't know, I'll give you free coffee or something this morning. And so uh, if you can tell me those books, nobody's gotten it yet, but Augustus and Llewellyn. We, we were in, <laughs> we were walking around Charleston yesterday, uh, just walking in, in a double-faced stroller or whatever, and everybody that walked by was like, oh, they're so cute, whatever. And I was like, you, you don't even know. Like, come to my house, you'll see how cute you think these kids are. Uh, but Gus and Lou are doing fantastic. Um, it's, it's been a blast. And, and, you know, back in May, Louis was born on May 25th, which if you know anything about the life of a student pastor, having a baby right before the summer was terrible timing, so my wife deserves the applause you guys gave her, uh, but it's been fantastic, and back in May, we were, you know, we're excited, this is round two of Baby For Us, we're, we're so pumped, um, but I also want to show you a picture of what our master bathroom looked like four weeks before Llewellyn's uh, due date. So this is what our master bathroom looked like. Uh, there should be a tub there. There should be a shower there. Um, but how, as the, there's a story, as the story goes, when, I, when we first moved into our house in Irmo, uh, we went in the master bathroom. There was a little rust spot near the drain of the tub. And so I was like, I'm going to pretend like this doesn't exist, sanded it down, put epoxy over it. I see some 
manly nods out there. They're like, yeah, you push that problem to another day. And earlier this year, I was, of course, taking a shower, doing my thing, go to get out of the shower, and I step near that rust spot, and about half my foot goes through our master bathroom tub, um, which if you know anything about tubs, that's not what you want, right? And so amazingly, there was like no water damage beneath it, um, but if I, there would have been at this point with a foot-sized hole in the tub. And so I, and all my hubris and DIY knowledge, thought, okay, I'm going to gut my master bathroom four weeks before a baby's due date. And if you'd have asked me when I started this project, I was like, there's no way that I will not be done before this baby gets here. There is absolutely no way. And, I, and I've learned a lesson on DIY, which is going to take twice as long and cost twice as much as you think it's going to. Uh, because, But at the end of the day, it was all worth it. I do want to show you a picture of what it looks like done. And that's a joke. It's still not done. Uh, we're like five months out, and it's still, it's still not there. Um, and so I, about every month now, and my wife is so gracious and forgiving and just nods her head and smiles, uh, I've had to admit to her time and time again that, man, I've, I've messed up a little, right? I, I thought I sought wisdom. I talked to people. I talked to contractors of mine and were like, I can get this. How long do you think it's going to take me? And they're like six months minimum. And I was like, no, I'll get this. I'll, I got this in a couple weeks. They were all right. I was so wrong. They were all right. And that's a silly example of when I've messed up. Um, but we're starting this series this morning about what to do when you mess up. And that's a silly example. My wife's gracious. My, my wife's super forgiving. It's, it's, it is what it is, right? But there, there are mess ups I, I make on a daily basis, on an hourly basis in some cases. Like there are things I say that I'm not proud of. There are moments I have of anger towards my sons or my wife or friends or whatever it is. There are things I think in my mind and my heart that if I said aloud, it would be like, whoa, what's going on there? And mess ups are a common problem, are a common thing that we all deal with. And this next four weeks, we're going to be talking about what to do when you mess up. Because as Pastor Don talked about last week, um, we are justified, like our state before God is justified, forgiven, loved, and we are freed from the penalty of sin when we come to Jesus, which is a beautiful, glorious, miraculous thing. But we also live our world, we live in this world through this process of this thing called sanctification, where as we grow closer and closer to God, we try to look more and more like Jesus, but we are still in the presence of sin. We are still in the presence of mess until when a day when Jesus comes back, where God judges sin, we'll be freed from even the sight of mess, the sight of sin, and we can live eternity mess-free, which is a beautiful day and a beautiful thing to look forward to. But as we live in this world today, there is mess. We make mess. There's mess around us. We bring the mess with us. We have to deal with that. And you might be here this morning and think like, man, there's some mess and sin in my life that I've been dealing with for 5, 10, 15 years that I can't seem to get off my shoulders. Or you might be here this morning and be like, I'm looking around at my life and I, I just see mess everywhere. How do I deal with that? And what we want to give you guys this morning and throughout this series is a plan, is a process, are steps to deal with the mess that is in my life, that is in your life, and that is in all the world around us. Because what I can guarantee you for me, for all of us, 
is that we will mess up at some point. We will do things we're not proud of. But what what does the word of God say about dealing with the mess we create? And so we're going to walk through just four things, and they all start with ours because we're good Baptists here. Uh, The first one this morning is we're going to talk about how we're going to recognize our responsibility. When we mess up, we want to recognize our responsibility. And that's what I'm going to be talking about this morning. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a challenge of what to do when you mess up. And it all starts with this first step of recognizing our responsibility, recognizing that we've made a mess and we might need to do some cleaning up. In week two, Jeff's going to talk about next week, he's going to talk about repentance, what repentance looks like, how we repent, excuse me, and he's going to talk about some steps we can take to make sure we have true repentance in our lives. And then Barton, week three, he's going to talk about recon- reconciling, about how when, how when we make a mess, sometimes that means that it's affected others, that our mess has hurt others. And when we are dealing with a mess and when we're repenting from a mess, what that means is we might have to reconcile and make it right with the people around us. And then finally in week four, where the beautiful thing of the gospel is that when we do make a mess, there is rest at the end of it. That Jesus is always there to love, to care for us, and that, and that when we deal with it properly, our mess can bring us to a place of rest at the feet of Jesus. And so we're going to be talking about what to do when you mess up, how to recognize responsibility. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the lives of two different men in the Old Testament, this man named Saul, this man named David, who were both kings of Israel, who both had a lot of weight on their shoulders, who had a lot of power, who had a lot of authority, and they both made some big messes. But they both dealt with it in very, very different ways. And how they dealt with their mess determined how they moved forward with their lives. And they moved forward in very, very different ways. But before we dive into where it's starting first Samuel, before we get there, I do want to recognize that there are some realities of the world in which we live. That scripture attests to some things about our mess. That scripture speaks about our mess. And before we move too far forward, I do want us to come to terms and come to reality that there are some things that we have to live with and deal with as we're in the presence of sin and as we're following after Jesus and trying to look more like him. And the first one is where there are people, there are problems. Where there are people, there are always problems. We bring, I bring the mess, the mess with me wherever I go. People make mistakes. People do things. Like, like we, we say things we aren't proud of. We do things we aren't proud of. And much of the New Testament was people trying to figure out how churches get together with a bunch of people with their own messes and how we deal with that as a church family. But we have to recognize that where there's people, there are problems. And so what that means to me is I don't walk around this world looking for messes. I don't look around this world looking to judge people. But what Scripture tells us to do is that, especially when the church body is together and when the family of of God is together, we don't live in judgment, but we live ready to forgive. We live ready to give grace. We live ready to extend love because just like you can mess up, I can mess up just as easily. So when we realize that we all have this problem of sin, we all have this issue we have to deal with, that helps us be ready to forgive, not ready to judge or condemn. The second reality I want us to think about is that what stays in the dark grows in the dark. What stays in the dark grows in the dark. One thing we're going to see, especially through the life of David, is that, man, we tried to control 
the situations and the messes we get ourselves in. The world today is all about, hey, if you mess up, you keep that down. You keep that in the dark. You keep that to yourself. And one tricky lie from Satan is things that might sound like this. And this is what I've heard like, man, there's no way they'd be able to forgive you for that. Or that there's no way people can know that you think that. Or there's, there's no way people could ever know that you've done something as awful as that. And so what we try to do is we try to dig it down. We try to dig it deep. We keep it in the dark. But what that ends up doing is it puts our mess on our own shoulders. And quite often we drown under the weight of our own mess. And so we don't want to keep what's in the dark in the dark. Rather, what we'll see and what God tells us to do is bring it to the light, bring it to God where it can then be dealt with. But reality number two is what stays in the dark tends to grow in the dark. And the third thing is that mess ups are an opportunity for growth. For growth. Mess ups are an opportunity this, this, for growth. One of my goals this morning is to change our mindset of how we look at messes, is to change our mindset of, of, about how we even look at our own sin. Rather our sin be something that we're ashamed of, that we keep in the dark, like reality number two, rather than it be something that we're too afraid or scared or, or worried to admit, that we look at them rather as things to be shameful of or guilty of. If what God says is true, we've been forgiven. If we're in Jesus, we've been forgiven of it all. And so rather every mess up being feeling like our eternity hangs in the balance or our relationship with Jesus hangs in the balance, rather we look at our mess as God, I need you to take this, and I need you to help me grow through it. I need you to help me get out of it. We can't do anything with our mess on our own, but when we hand it over to God, he can take our mess, and he might just be able to make something beautiful come out of it. So our mess-ups are an opportunity for growth. But let's look at two men, two kings of Israel, the first king and the second king of Israel, who had some messes, who made some mistakes, but like I said, they handled it in very different ways. And 1 Samuel 13, 9 through 14 says this. It says, so Saul said, Saul was a king of Israel, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. Then he offered the burnt offering just as he finished offering the burnt offering. Samuel, who was a prophet of the Lord, arrived. So Saul went out to greet him and Samuel asked, what have you done? Saul answered, excuse me, when I saw that the troops were deserting me and you didn't come within the appointed days and the Philistines were gathering at Michmash, I thought the Philistines will now descend on me at Gilgal and I haven't sought the Lord's savor. So I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have been foolish. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. It was at this time that the Lord would have permanently established your reign over Israel. But now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as a ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord has commanded. If you know about the, the history of Saul as a king in the Old Testament, it's kind of a, a troubled story. You see this guy who was appointed king over the Israelite people. They, they, there were 12 tribes of Israel. They wanted a king. They looked around at the nations around them, and they said, like, God, this is what we want. And God was like, I'll give it. And it's interesting because God was like, I'll give it to you, but you just got to know this could turn out really bad. And they said, well, we want it anyway. And God appointed a king over them. And Saul was from 
a well-to-do family. He was very tall. He was handsome. He was, he was everything you would want in a king. He was everything you would want in a person. And what's interesting is that Saul, because he can't admit to his own mess-ups, he ends up having a very troubled, and, and the throne of Israel was taken from him. But what follows is a king named David, who didn't look the part, who was an afterthought in his own family, and who was an afterthought in everybody's eyes. And so there's something very interesting about the person who we expect to be the reigning king isn't really. It's actually this, this second king, this King David, who is everything you wouldn't expect to be a powerful ruler. But in any, in any case, Paul, Saul makes this mistake. He's been given this command to wait with his armies in Gilgal to go fight the Philistines, to defend the Philistines were an enemy of Israel at this time in the Old Testament. So he was told, wait here, wait for me. And what the prophet said was, I'll come, we'll make sacrifices, and the Lord's favor will be on you as you go in the battle. But then what ended up happening was the circumstances surrounding Saul didn't seem too good to him. He didn't see a lot of hope. He didn't see how God could get them through this. And he had men abandoning him. It felt like it was taking too long for, for the prophet to get there. And so what Saul does is he decides to step outside of what God has commanded. And he steps outside in his duty as king, and he decides, I'm going to go before God. I'm going to do what's not my job, and I'm going to do this thing. And so he offers the sacrifices, thinking that's what he had to do, when in reality, he knew that was not what God's plan was. And when confronted with his mess, when confronted with the mistake he made, he did this thing that, as a, as a father of a toddler I see all the time, he did this thing called the blame game. He said, things weren't going well. It's your fault. You got here late. God wanted me to do this. And he makes excuses and he gives reasons as to why what he did was actually right and not what God said to do. And so he plays this thing called the blame game. And this isn't, this isn't a Saul problem. This goes all the way back to Adam saying, hey, it was the woman's fault, God. This all goes all the way back to Eve saying, hey, this was the snake's fault. And it goes all throughout Scripture, time and time again, you see people passing off their sin and their mess onto somebody else. And here's some things I've said, and maybe you can relate with it. Um, that's just the way that I am. When confronted with my mess, that's just the way I am. How about this one? I've said that. I'm sorry you felt that way. Is that me taking responsibility for my mess? Not really. I've said this as well. I'm not, I'm not rude. I'm just really, really honest. That's not, that's not really taking responsibility, is it? See, this thing called the blame game, we all do it. We all have done something like it. And as we'll see in, in, Dave, in David's case, he was trying to pass off blame and pass off stuff as well. But it's something that we all do. And it changed the trajectory of Saul's life that he was not able and willing to take responsibility for his mess. He lived in constant warfare. His family was all the way against him. He tried to kill David on and on and on again. It, it changed his life that he could not take responsibility for his mess. And that's typically what happens when we push mess aside, when we blame other people for our mess, is that we can take something that could have been dealt with and it grows and grows and grows into something that's out of control. David made some big mistakes too. You know the story of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You know he coveted, he 
committed adultery. He committed murder. He did all these things. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we see again a prophet come to David, come to King David now, and we see him deal with his mess in a very, very different way. And so it looks like that when David was confronted with his mess. And in 2 Samuel 12, chapter 1, it says, So the Lord sent Nathan, another prophet, to David. When Nathan arrived, he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, one rich and another poor. The rich man had very large flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one small ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised her, and she grew up with him with his children. From his meager food, she would eat. From his cup, she would drink, and in his arms, she would sleep. She was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man could not bring himself to take one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guest. David was infuriated with the man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die because he has done this thing and shown no pity. He must pay four lambs for that lamb. Nathan replied to David, and here's a crazy thing. You are that man. We know from 2 Samuel 11 that David made some big mistakes. He did all, he broke laws, he broke commandments, he sinned before God, and he made a really, really big mess. But what's funny is that it took Nathan coming to David and telling him this interesting little story, this interesting little parable, for him to realize and come to terms with the mess that he has made, the mess that he has created for himself, and the mess that he finds himself in. Nathan has to come to him and tell him this story of a rich man who took something that was extremely precious to a poorer man, who took the lamb from them for his own and gave it to a traveler who was coming through. Can I tell you something? Here's what the problem with David was, and probably the problem for a lot of, ourselves, a lot of us is that we are so biased towards ourselves that we will make excuses for what we've done. We want grace for me, judgment for thee. Like we are so biased to ourselves. And it's amazing what we can do in our lives to justify our actions, to justify the things that we've said or, cho- or chose to do. But it took David having to think outside of himself and outside of his own circumstances to realize the mess that he had gotten himself himself in. And what that means for us is, and what that means for each and every one of me and all of y'all is, what we have to do is, we have to ask this question, who are we comparing ourselves to? What are we comparing ourselves to? Do we compare ourselves? Do we put ourselves before God and, and judge our actions based off our circumstances, based off other people? Or do we base it off the word of God? And here's the trick. We have to have to have to compare our actions, compare our decisions against the word of God, because at the end of the day, that's all we have to stand on. Our standard is God's word, not our circumstances, not other people. And the danger is we can become so biased to ourselves that we can't even see a mess that we've created. So judge ourselves against God's word. Here's the the second big thing. Our actions have consequences. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I rescued you from Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, 
And if that was not enough, I would have given you even more. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hethite with the sword and took his wife as your own. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hethite to be your wife. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on you before your very eyes, and he will sleep with them in broad daylight. You have acted in secret, but I will do this before all Israel and in broad daylight. As, again, as a parent of a toddler, the trickiest thing I've been trying to figure out lately is how to teach Gus the consequences of his actions, is how to teach him how to deal with consequences, right? And it, it's hilarious. Gus will go to school. I'll pick him up. We'll ask his teacher, like, hey, how did he do today? And, you know, more often than not, he's probably pushed or bit some kid. It happens. Uh, and so we, say, we ask him, hey, how'd he do? And so we take him home, we sit him down. And it's funny, Gus will readily admit the, what he's done. Hey man, hey, man, did you push your kid to school today? And he'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I pushed that kid. And it's like, hey, or hey, man, did you, like, take somebody else's toy? And he'll be like, yep, yep, I did that. And it's like, huh, I don't know how to deal with it. And so he'll readily admit what was done wrong. What's funny is the tears start coming, the legs start kicking, the body starts, you know, when you pick up a toddler and they go boneless on you, like he goes boneless when it's say, hey man, we're going we're gonna to have to go into timeout. When he's faced with the consequences, that's when he starts realizing, oh, this is not good. And the more I think about it, the more I realize, I don't think this is just a, a toddler problem. This is probably a me problem. This is probably an all of us problem. Because so much of what David tried to do in the previous chapter was he tried to escape the consequences of his own actions. He tried to bury the consequences. He tried to keep it in the dark. He went so far to have a man murdered so that what he did doesn't come to light. And I, and I just want everybody in here to know, and I want us all to think about something. When we try to control the consequences when we try to keep things buried for fear of what may happen, what happens is we carry all that weight on our shoulders rather than taking it off and giving it to Jesus. My guess is there are people in here who have been avoiding consequences for maybe a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, afraid of what might happen if I put this into the light, if I bring this to God, if I be honest about the mess that I've made for myself. And what I can promise you is this, that's not a weight that God wants you to bear, but he wants you to take it off your own shoulders and give it over to him so that there's grace, there's joy, there's love, there's forgiveness. And as we'll see in a little bit, we'll see that love and that joy that God promises when we stop trying to escape our consequences and take it over to him. Finally, it ends, it ends like this. David responded to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Then Nathan replied to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. However, because you treated the Lord with such contempt in this matter, the son born to you will die. Then Nathan went home. The final thing I want us to see from this interaction between David and Nathan is that confession is the first step to righting a wrong. That confession is the first step to righting a wrong. And, 
And as a father of two boys and as a father of a four-month-old baby, I can tell you guys, I do not like reading that the son born of David and Bathsheba is going to die. I don't like reading that. I'll be real with you guys. That on an emotional level hits me so hard. But what I want to show you through these couple of verses is that there is so much hope in this passage. And on this, at the same time, our faith is hinged and attached to the death of an innocent person. That at all the boldness of our faith and the reason we even have this thing called faith in Jesus is because an innocent person died on our behalf. When confronted with his mess, when confronted with all the problems that David uh, had created for himself, he is able, unlike Saul, to look at Nathan and say, I have sinned against the Lord. And according to the laws of Israel at this time, according to God's laws, coveting, adultery, murder, what David deserved was death for what he had done. What David deserved was, was death and judgment according to the law of the man. It, it doesn't matter that he's king. That's what he deserved. But he was able to confess his mess. He was able to look at God and say, I have sinned against you. And as a result of that confession, Nathan was able to say to David, and the Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die. You see, as crazy as David's mess was, and when we look at it and we think, man, like that's, that's so much, each and every one of us, either at, at some point in your past or maybe even now, we were in such a mess, we were wrapped up in this thing called sin. This is the beauty of the gospel, that God was able to take our mess, and, as, and what we deserved was death for our mess. We de- a result of our sin was what we deserved was judgment, death, but because of the giving of an innocent life, because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, God was able to take that sacrifice and look at us and say, you know what? Your sin has been forgiven. When we believe and when we confess in Jesus and when we take all the mess and baggage that we bring with us to the feet of Jesus, he can look past all that because of the the death of an innocent Savior and, he, and none of our mess, none of, this, these, none of this stuff was too big for God's forgiveness. And so there is so much hope in this passage. There is so much gospel in this passage that even though David deserved death, just like us, he can take our mess and make something beautiful out of it. And so David went on in, in Psalm 32, one through six, and he wrote this. He said, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is the one, is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great flood waters come, they will not reach them. Our application for this morning and my my challenge to you from the story of David, the story of Saul, is to rather pass off blame for a mess rather than try to bury it, keep it in the dark. 
rather than try to escape the consequences of decisions or things that we have done, is to take that and confess your mess before holy God. So much of our problems, so much of our mental health, so much of the situations we find ourselves in could be because rather than take our mess off of our own shoulders and place it before holy God, where as this, as this scripture promised, there is forgiveness, there is joy, there is freedom from guilt, and there is a promise that no, no, no matter how much mess rises up around us, you will be freed from those floodwaters. The floodwaters come, they will not reach him. All those things are found when we're able to take our mess off of our own shoulders and place it before holy God, to look at God and say, hey, I've messed up. Hey, I've sinned against you. Hey, I found myself in a situation where I never thought I might find myself in, but I trust God enough to say, when I bring it before you, he can deal with it. And in the midst of what I think is an impossible situation, God might just be able to make something beautiful out of a mess that I've created. But the first step to dealing with a mess is to take it, to bring it before God, and to confess our mess to him. The funny thing about David was in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says that while his men were out to war, he was sitting back in his throne room. Like God had done some amazing things in the life of David. God had allowed him to be king. He had escaped the wrath of Saul, like Saul had it out for David for a long time. He was trying to kill David and David would escape. David had united the tribes of Israel. Like God through David had done some amazing things. And when it seemed like he was in the pinnacle, the peak, that's where Satan came. And that's when Satan tempted him to make some mistakes that affected the rest of his life, that affected other people's lives. And I don't know about you, but I found this in my own life, is that when, I, when I'm kind of on cruise control, when I think things are going great, that's when Satan can come in and say, hey man, this is when I want to tear you down. And one thing we've been talking about, and Pastor Don's been talking about this a whole lot, is we as a church body, we as Gateway Baptists, we are in an amazing spot in, our, in the, the life of our church. We've paid off debt a couple weeks ago. We're making plans for the future. We're looking at our landscape and seeing what we can do. We got projects going on. We have some amazing things, and we believe, truthfully, that God has big things for store in the life of our church. But what I can promise you this is, when things are going great, that's when we also need to stay on alert. Because when things are going great in our church's lives and your lives and my life, Satan has a funny way of trying to bring down the good things that God is trying to do. So in your life and my life and our church's lives, let's stay on alert. Let's confess our mess to God and let's deal with problems, as David says, immediately when they arise in our lives. That is the first step of what to do when you've made a mess. Let's pray together.